comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
Welcome. I can't tell if I'm on. Am I good? Okay. The, uh, thank you so much. I mean, and thank you for letting me come and, and share with you out of God's Word uh, today, out of, the, out of the Gospel of John. But more than that, the blessing it is to be, out of, to be able to share out of chapter 21 as you bring this to a close. And that is truly a blessing and honor for me to come here and share um, as you end this Bible study or this, this series in, in the Gospel of John. And so, you know, I come to you tonight with the question of uh, how many of you have struggled with unbelief? <laughs> I have, and lots of it, is, is I look at what Justin prayed for today with respect to the people in El Paso and the people in Dayton. And I struggle when you look at a world that seems to be out of control, that seems to be um, besides itself, is just uh, devastating to see those communities just torn apart with senseless violence. But it's division everywhere. And everything that's going on in this society today, in this world across the globe, it is one, it is just an ugly, period of time. It is a dangerous period of time. It seems like a period of time that is completely out of control. And you wonder, and you sit there, and you think, what is going on, Lord? Where are you? What are you doing? It's just only natural to ask those things. And we ask those big questions as we see these big issues that are occurring throughout society. And those events that just happened over the last day just torn me apart is I just look at how people respond to it without hope, without thought, without what do we do. They just talk about this meaning, so many things that are meaningless and stupid. But bring that home more personally. Bring that home more from the perspective of your day-to-day -day, when you're walking around, when you're having to deal with something that didn't happen or go your way, or that you have to deal with problems in your family as you get older, as you have to deal with death, if you have to deal with sickness, if you have to deal with hardship that's in your family, and you ask, why is it me? Why is it I who have to go through this? What is going on, Lord? Why are you treating? What am I doing wrong? What is it that about me, you know, that I deserve, that I'm having all this calamity in my life? So what is it? What is it with your church? What is it with this that's not going the way you hoped it? And where are you thinking? And it's like, what are we doing, Lord? Are we, are we doing something wrong? Can I trust in you? Are we doing the right thing? Where are you? And you struggle with these many things in your life and throughout that. And I must have been thinking a lot of these things when I came to John chapter 21. When I came to John chapter 21 and I read through it, and it is a beautiful story, and it's a beautiful moment, and it's a beautiful send-off in so many ways. The third time that Christ has appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. And I read this, and what pops in my brain but what I think Justin said fairly early on is, is tonight is Peter. Peter popped in my brain. I just focused on Peter. I could just, I sat there and was reading about Peter, and I wanted to read more about Peter. 
So what did I do? I went through back all the Gospels and looked at Peter. And so what was really interesting for me when I saw Peter and started to zero in on Pete is, and by the way, I title him this good old Pete, but that's an inside, <laughs> is, um, the, um, is, is, the, uh, is I zeroed in on Peter and it hit me in a way, this is a generalization, don't get me wrong, but you've got Paul, the apostle that is the chief sinner. He proclaims, I am the chief sinner among the saints. None's going to outdo me with the sin that I brought when Christ called me and as I continue to struggle with when I'm Christ. I'm chief among you. With Peter, I turn to him, and I think Peter is the chief saint of struggling with unbelief. And when you look at his life and you look at his time, and when he met Christ through the ministry of Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection, and even after the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came forth in power, I believe Peter struggled with unbelief. And so let's take a, glint, a glance at Peter here a little bit and go through him and then see what we can learn about his unbelief and then see what we can do if we're struggling with unbelief. And so I just want to take a look at him. I think he provides a beautiful example of how faith and unbelief can coexist. We tend to want to make those exclusive. We tend to, if we're struggling with unbelief, we tend to question our faith in Christ Jesus. And I think Peter provides this incredible example through his many, many instances of where he inserts foot into mouth as he goes through his ministry, but he provides these examples of his unbelief. Peter, um, I think, did not struggle with his faith in Christ and following Christ and never wavering on being with Christ and, and under his teaching. But I do think Peter was very nearsighted and often did not see who Jesus really is when he walked along with him. In, in chapter 6 of John, Jesus gave a very hard teaching, a very, very hard teaching for the people. And that was right after the ministry of John the Baptist and right after where John was declining and Jesus was rising and there were all these people being baptized as disciples of Christ. And he came along and gave this hard teaching and what happened? He lost all these disciples that proclaimed to be following him. They left him. And Christ turned around and said to his 12, he said, what about you all? And of course, Peter stood up. Now, Peter stands up a lot and talks. Peter stands up and goes, goes before. But he stood up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where Peter struggles and where I think we struggle is not that in the belief in Jesus Christ when we receive that gift of faith, but it's knowing he's the Holy One of God and seeing that he's the Holy One of God and that he is the object of that faith. And we lose sight of that. And we, so Peter's struggle, and mine to be honest with you, is the difference between believing 
Take, take John 3.16, for whoever so believes, you know, I sent my only, son, only begotten Son that whoever so believes shall not perish but have eternal life. That is a gift of faith that, Jesus, that God the Father gives us through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of faith that cannot be taken, that cannot be lost. We are going to have that faith. And so, we have that faith, but remembering the object of our faith is where we often struggle in this world that is just a calamity around us. Our world tends to narrow in, and we tend to look in our surroundings in front of us and not at who is the object of that faith. So let's look at Peter's life a little bit. Peter, in John chapter 1, was a fisherman, but he had this brother, Andrew. And his brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John. And so he was a disciple of John, and he was with John at the time of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And Andrew comes running home to Peter. Hey, Peter, 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 guess what? I found him. I found him. I know we've been looking for him. I found him. I was tracking with John. We knew he was going to say something. And here he was. He said it. And I found the Messiah. The Messiah. Come. And Andrew did the most interesting thing. Little, little note in First John, or John chapter 1. He took Peter to Jesus. Now, we don't know what was said, but you have to believe. Here's Andrew following John going to Jesus, taking his brother Simon at the time, to see Jesus, the Messiah. So there had to be some type of conversation and relatively in-depth conversation because at the end of it, Jesus exercises his authority and names Simon Peter. He names him. He took authority over him and named him. And so you have that situation and that, that they were looking for the Messiah. They were on the look for him. And here he was. He was proclaimed. And so sure enough, a few days later, I don't know, it could have been the next day, could have been a few days later, here comes Jesus trucking along the shoreline. And similar to John 21, he's like, sees the fisherman out there on the boat. Yo, I know, I know you've been up. I know you've been up. Just give that thing a little pitch on the other side. And so they throw that net on the other side. And lo and behold, it's full of fish. And Peter's response, similar to the response in 21, but a little bit different here on the uptake, is Peter comes running in, falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What was his sinfulness? What was it? Here he was introduced to the Messiah that he was looking for, that those guys were looking for. His brother was following John. And he came to Jesus, and he saw that miracle, and he realized he hadn't believed he was the Messiah. He said, get away from me, I'm sinful. But you know John had faith. You know that John had faith because the next words that were out of Jesus' mouth is, get up, follow me, and I'll make you a fisherman of men. And he followed him. He was ready to hear. From the start of his ministry, 
from the time Peter was involved, he struggled with this dichotomy of his faith in Christ and his seeing Christ clearly. So here comes, here comes a little bit later. Life is trudged on, and here they're out on a boat, and they look out along the water, and what, what's Peter see? Peter sees Christ come walking at him on the water. And so what's Peter do? As an aside, there's, there's this guy at work the other day that I heard someone say a name about him. And it's just like, and, he, and, and his name, they call him Springbutt because he springs up off and wants to either be the first to talk or the first to act. And I, I just, it's just this image I have with Peter. He's the, one, he's the one that wants to just stand up and almost prove he believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. And so he just, he stood up, he goes, and he wants to come out. And Christ says, come on. And at that moment, Peter's faith and his belief and the object of his belief was right there in front of him, and he stepped out and started walking. But what happens with Peter is he gets nearsighted. He gets nearsighted, and the world starts closing in on him, and he starts losing sight of the object of his belief, and he starts to sink. Now, I want you all to remember what's going on in all of this, is while these things are happening to Peter and while Peter's going, Peter's one, witnessing all these miracles of Jesus Christ. Jesus feeds the thousands. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus brings back from the dead people that have passed away. Jesus is performing amazing feats of power in front of these guys as Peter continues to move on and continues. And so, in all of this, moved by God the Father, what happens with Peter next? Peter, Peter proclaims a truth. Now, I find this truth sort of a little comical in light of John chapter 1, because he's looking for the Messiah. He finds a Messiah. He repents from the fact that he didn't believe he was the Messiah. And then Jesus says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, that didn't come from you. That came from the Father. And that truth comes from the Father. And it was a moment in time where, G where Peter and everything, his faith and the object of his salvation are all lining up beautifully. But once again, he struggles. And shortly thereafter, Jesus says he's going to have to die. He'll rise in three days. And Peter, having pursued after the Messiah, been revealed by the Father that Jesus is Messiah, goes, then rebukes Christ for saying he's going to die. And so he goes, and Jesus turns around, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter, your world closed in. You think you have to protect me. You think you have to save me. You think you have to watch out for me. I am the Holy One of God. And so it moves on. Peter continues. And it comes later on 
in the parallel to the John 21 of where he asked Peter, do you love me three times? Now comes the time where Peter goes, where Jesus goes, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Now remember where this is in the life and time of the disciples and, and, and Jesus is this is at the very end. This is close to the very end, and he has seen so much and knows so much. And Jesus points to him and, and says, but you're going to deny me three times. And of course, Peter goes, no, 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 no. I'm following you. I am not going to deny you. But very quickly, his world's threatened. Remember his world this whole time now is following Jesus Christ, is following him. It's being fed by Jesus Christ. He's being led by Jesus Christ. He is being taught by Jesus Christ. He's seen the power of Jesus Christ. His whole world is right next to the Holy One of God. And what happens next after Christ told him that you will deny me three times is here comes the guards to take Jesus away. And what does Peter think he's doing. He comes forth with a sword to prevent the onslaught of the guards. He slices off an ear. He thinks he needs to protect the Holy One of God. So here is Peter, and Christ looks at him. Do you not know who I am? Do you not see me? Do you not know who I could call here? For my protection, if I so desire it, do you not know who I am? Do you not see who is standing right in front of you? And off Christ is drug. But Peter can't leave. He follows. Now, I would have thought maybe I'd have bolted the other way, but Peter follows. It's his world. He follows. But before that rooster's crows, he denies him three times. And there's other little stories. I mean, you could look at the, the tomb and the, the, the ladies that had come and said that Jesus is risen, and he didn't believe them. He couldn't believe them. He couldn't see it. He doesn't really under, didn't really see who Jesus was in a sense, but he was faithful and wanting to follow. He pursued but wanted to see the grave. Back in the transfiguration, it just sort of when, when Elijah, Moses, and Jesus in glory were there, and Peter goes, let me build a house. I mean, I don't know what he saw then. I mean, you saw all the glory of God. You saw, I mean, this, this in front of you, and Peter thinks he needs to build God a house or something. But it's just a, it's a, he cannot see him. He is one of the most nearsighted disciples I think there ever walked on the face of this earth. He just could not see who his faith was in, who it really was. And so we come to that time, and it brings us to John 21. So now we got John 21, a ministry full of miracles, a death, a resurrection. Christ uniquely appears to Peter before the other disciples. We don't know what was said, but uniquely appears appears to the disciples, and appears here on the shoreline. Certainly, Peter will finally see him. Certainly. No doubt. Peter is going to be strong in faith 
see who Christ for you is, can trust that he is the Holy One of God. And at the end of that beautiful exchange that occurs between them, what does, Peter, what does Jesus say to him? Follow me. But he makes sure he understands what that follow me means. It is going to cost him everything to the point of death. It is going to cost him everything. And this is not like a follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men in the beginning. This is a follow after me. Follow in my steps to the point of death. It is going to cost you everything to be my disciple when you follow me. And of course, Peter, what about John? That was his response. What about John? Of course, John got referred in third person through a story, which was really hard to follow, but it was John. He said, what about John? And Jesus, I can just picture it. it just, that's how I would, but Jesus wouldn't. I could just, Peter, Peter, you, 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 follow me. You are the one that's going to follow after me. And Peter obviously struggled. Unless you think Peter got rid of all of this, un- this struggling on who Christ is and keeping his eye and not being too nearsighted, just really quickly past the Pentecost and into his ministry, Paul ends up calling him. He's, he's, Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, and, and all of a sudden the Jews come along, and Peter goes, whoop, let me slide over here with the, the Jews. I'm, I, I, I'm more worried about what they think. And Paul calls him on it. He goes, that's not the truth of the gospel. In reality, Peter lost sight again, became nearsighted, that Christ is for everybody, not just the Jews. He became fearful of men, not knowing that Christ is the Holy One of God and lost that sight, became a little nearsighted. So we come to this spot. of what can we learn from Peter in this life of unbelief, this life of struggling, of keeping sight of who God is, of who Christ is. The first thing is, I like the way Justin put it, Peter is the character in the Bible, the apostle in the Bible, that you come away from if you read and just look at him that you know there's some place for everybody in the church. So you're not alone when you're struggling with unbelief. You're not alone when you're like doubting God, when you're like, why this or why that? Why are you thinking those? And so that's the first thing that you can think of. But there's there's two things that Peter teaches us. In, in Scripture is there's an inward aspect to dealing with unbelief and an outward aspect of dealing with your unbelief. So the inward aspect is what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Basically, it says if you're struggling with your walk, if you're struggling with your walk in Christ. He goes, he tells you a self-confession. 
you have become nearsighted to the point of being blind. And you have forgotten you have been cleansed from your former sins. Now, the beauty of that, what I always liked about that passage, you've been cleansed from your former sins, is the reality is anytime we realize we've sinned, it's a former sin. So, it's always an applicable statement. It's not a past tense statement. If I'm struggling with sin over here in my unbelief or whatever it is, and I come to realize that, I have forgotten that I've been cleansed from that former sin. Later on, when I have another one, it's really a former sin again, so it's all good. The passage works. But it's telling you, you have become nearsighted to being blind, to the point of being blind. Blind from what? Blind from who Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. Jesus Christ, who filled the glory of heaven, who gave that up freely to come to earth as a human being, who did what no one else could do, what we were all called to do, what Adam was called to do, and that is to walk on this earth in the will of God the Father. And Jesus Christ is the only one that has ever done that. And he has walked this earth without sin, the Holy One of God. And he came down here and he did what was undoable by us. And then he took on what was undeserving on him. He took all of our sin. And Peter is telling you, look at the Holy One of God and look what He did to cleanse you from your sin. He took the wrath of the Father. He took punishment beyond anything we can dare imagine or believe that He took on our behalf. And He cleansed us from our sins. You look in this world right now as you dwell on that, in this world that is in utter chaos. And why is this God, the God of Jesus, the God the Father and the God the Son, why is this allowing what's going on in this world? And it's because he made a promise to save his children from their sins. He will not forsake one of them to bring judgment and justice to this corrupt world. He will forbear from it, even though it is vile and wicked before his eyes. He will forbear from it until his last child on this earth is redeemed. It could be today, it could be 10,000 years from now. But not until that last child is redeemed will he return. He will not break his promise. The Holy One of God, above all, through all, and that holds all things together, gave everything up. And Peter is telling us, if we are nearsighted, you have forgotten you have been cleansed by that God. The Father forgave you through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is above all. And Peter is telling us in that simple passage, and as a self-confession to him and to me, is he is the one that we want to walk, that we need to preach to ourselves the truth of Christ crucified, the truth of our forgiveness, the truth of the length and depth and breadth and height 
of love of Jesus Christ that he pursued after us. And he will not forsake a single child in this just because this world is corrupt. He will wait and he will be patient until his children are redeemed. And so Peter is an inward motion. As we're nearsighted, we have to reflect on the cross, on the reality and the truth and the depth and the breath behind that cross. And we have to do that. Then the, the second thing that Peter does and shows us is an outward expression. And that brings me back to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 in the exchange between Jesus and Peter. It's a gorgeous exchange. Um, it's a gorgeous exchange, and it's one of restoration through Pe Peter's repentance and, 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 and three times, mirroring up to the three times of denial. And it's a beautiful story. But also there's another aspect to it. Jesus told Peter exactly what he needed to hear. And so I'll leave out a little bit and say it a, bit, a little bit differently. Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he goes, and Jesus says, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus told Peter how to love him. It's not through words. It's through an outward call that he put. Jesus said, you are to follow me. And come the Pentecost, and come the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit appeared and everyone could hear everyone speak, Peter stood up. And at that moment, he fed his sheep. Peter was called to follow after Christ. You follow me. And in Acts, he followed them. And he fed his sheep. We can learn from that story because we need to follow Jesus. Follow after him and care for those that God has put under our care. I like how this love, when Jesus was telling him, do you love me? He's saying, feed my sheep. And the only reason Peter could feed his sheep is because Christ first loved us. And in 1 John chapter 4, John said it this way, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Everything Jesus Christ did on the face of this earth is the definition of love. Jesus Christ is love. However he cared, whoever he confronted, the purity of his heart, his call to do the will of the Father, every expression. Study Jesus in the Bible and say to yourself, this in these circumstances is a pure expression of love. When we are to love Jesus, it's not that we love him, that we do something that loves him. It's to love Jesus is to follow after him. It's to feed his sheep, to love others. If you love others, a couple things will happen about your belief. One, Get ready to suffer, because when you love others, it's a messy deal. But the beauty of it is, is that ingratitude, that wanting to take advantage of you, not seeming to understand or hear a dang word that you're saying, helps you to get a little glimpse of how much Christ suffered on our behalf. The second part is, is actually the blessing of giving that love. The blessing of giving that love is when you share God, when you share his love, when you follow after him and tell them about the son who came to save them. And that person shows gratitude. That person shows thanks. That person's life is changed by that reality. That's why you guys are here. And that's why God will bless you all, because you guys are outward looking. You are outward thinking. He will bless that. He will give you right now a little bit of suffering, but he will bless you. And he has already done a lot of good things. So when you're struggling with unbelief, inward, preach the Christ, preach Christ, preach Christ crucified and follow and then outward, follow after him and care for those that God's put in your care. So when you're in unbelief, one other thing to ask yourself is, you, are you dwelling on the mysteries that have, not, that have not been revealed? There's a lot that has not been revealed by God. You look at the world today and you can say that right now. I do not know why things are happening the way they're happening. And I, but I can tell you why God is forbearing. I can tell you what mystery has been revealed, and that's Jesus Christ. That was a mystery that was not known prior to, his, prior to his life, death, and resurrection. That mystery has been revealed. Meditate on those and what he did and follow him. And when you do that, you will grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. 
words could dare never even approach the depth of his love and sacrifice and what it cost him on the cross. But nonetheless, he did that, we know, for the joy set before him to reunite every one of his children, every one of your children to you. And we give you and him praise and thanks and glory and ask that your spirit would be ever bright in our hearts, our lives, and give us the strength to not be nearsighted, but to see the Holy One of God who gave everything and gives everything on our behalf. It's in his name we pray. Amen.